evening. All right, go for it. Yes, uh, this is Michael Kinane. I'm a patient with uh, Alameda uh, Health Systems. I've uh, emailed to uh, Madam Clerk uh, Rona Gonzalez and to uh, Mr. James Jackson, the CEO, on my two primary issues, one of which has to do with uh, getting prescriptions from uh, Optimum Specialty Pharmacy. Apparently, it's an impossible task. Um, I've been working with the GI uh, clinic for a product called Maverick. Uh, it took two months to get my first uh, monthly allocation back in uh, December. It was up for renewal and uh, refill. It's a two-month uh, process. It was up for refill in uh, January, and it was impossible after myself, uh, Tracy, uh, who's the uh, medical uh, assistant in uh, GI, Renee Donnelly, who's with, and Nancy Coe, who are with Alameda Alliance. We both spent most of last week conference calls with Optimum and what have you, couldn't get the uh, refill. And then uh, Tuesday, we put a new prescription into uh, Walgreens, um, their specialty um, pharmaceutical branch um, in, in Oakland, and we're able to get the medication within four hours. I'm- before 30 I, seconds, Michael. Thank you. Before I was disabled, um, I was an, a lawyer. And if, as a lawyer, you can't navigate this system, I can't imagine how the rest of your patients can with optimum specialty. The other is about your my chart. Um, there's a big problem with trying to send uh, messages through my chart to other than my primary care physician and my cardiologist uh, that needs to be worked out. Um, those are the two issues and they're both on email to Rana and Mr. James Jackson. Mr. Kinane, thank you for your feedback. It will be heard and uh, we'll, it, it, we've received it, appreciate it. I appreciate next, you, you hearing me, thank you. Of course. Um, next, we'll go with Ms. Shalika Carter followed by Janisha Wade. Shalika, are you, I'm scanning the room. I'm here. Oh, there you are. Hi, good evening, Shalika, how are you? Good evening, how's um, everyone? Two, two minutes on the clock, okay? Okay, got it. Uh, good, good evening. My name is Shalika Carter. I am the IHS SEIU 10 to 1 Vice President for the General Unit Chapter. I am here in representation of patients, of our care management, um, our co-workers in care management, and um, other staff members. I actually have a, a letter um, that I would like to read on behalf of one of our medical social workers in the NICU, Wa Chong. Um, she cannot be here this evening because she's covering two floors of patients and she is unable to read her letters. So I'm gonna do that on her behalf really quickly. Thank you board of trustees for your time today and your patience to hear us out on our ongoing concerns. Our department on the other hand has lost our patients with the department leaders who have continued to feign lack of awareness towards our vocalized concerns relating to staffing, expectations of assignments, triage, priorities, and communication in general. We understand that we are in pandemic with many unforeseeable and uncontrollable events. 
However, we've also been in this pandemic for almost two years with patterns that give insight to needs that may arise. In the event that we sit in a meeting where concerns are raised and solutions are solicited, the frontline staff continue to give the same suggestions and leaders continue to say, we'll take it offline or we will follow up with limited follow, uh, follow up. It is frustrating to hear leaders say, I wasn't aware or this is the first time I'm hearing this when there's clearly a department full of staff that can prove otherwise. Furthermore, our leaders have also made false accusations towards staff and department meetings with no basis and have been unable to contain their outbursts despite multiple colleagues making clear statements to prove otherwise. Their explosion in behavior puts in question their ability to understand the issues seconds. on hand, their professional conduct and ability to lead. As an active union member who has sat in multiple department patient care committee meetings and other workforce planning meetings with those leaders, I have yet to sit in one that is more dysfunctional than my own department. Despite all of this, we as social workers are advocates for the underserved and marginalized population. So many of us stay here at Highland for the patients that come through our doors here. Um, With that said, it is very tempting to know there are also a lot of options available in the community and better pay or more supportive management team and better work-life balance. I don't have a solution to share today, but hopefully you can, you do. Thank you. Shalika, thank you for your comments, okay. Um, next we'll go Ms. Janisha Wade, followed by Cecile Gozan. Um, Janisha, are you in the room scanning? I am. Where are you? Ah, right in the middle. Good evening, Janisha, how are you? Good, thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, I'm a medical social worker within the care management uh, with the SART department. I would like to discuss the discrimination that I have experienced within my department. When I first started with SART, it was Don Cornell and Lacey um, supervising the medical social workers in place of Concepcion um, to, to Pepe. Um, the medical social workers were instructed to go to Don and Lacey um, regarding questions, um, regarding cases. Don and Lacey was, um, Don and Lacey has administrative positions and they are considered to be my peers. They are not supervisors, nor are they social workers. On June 24th, I received an email from Don that <clears throat> was also sent to Concepcion. Don stated in the email, Janisha is not uh, competent to make informed decisions and I will add this to her employee spreadsheet. Um, Don is not a supervisor and is incapable to provide any kind of assessment or evaluation of my work. It's unethical for Don or any other employees to have access to my employee file as it invades my privacy, embrace employee confidentiality. In addition, up until this email, I have not been informed of any disciplinary actions being added to my file, um, nor have I signed any paperwork. Three days later, I had a one-on-one -on -one with uh, Concessional, who is my actual supervisor, and I brought this issue to her, and she informed me that she that um, that time she um, that at the time she did not see any concerns about my working performance. I believe that the statement that Don made against me was racist and completely unwarranted. I feel discriminated against and humiliated. This employee has created a hostile work environment and actions need to be taken. This is clear case of uh, discrimination when a white employee calls a black employee incompetent. And I would like to reiterate that she does not, um, she cannot make any um, if 
evaluations, um, assessment of my workers' performance. Another issue is a new employee, my coworker with the um, same job title as me, with um, the same credential, conditions with no hospital, no hospital experience or clinical experience who is also white receiving a higher pay rate than me. This is another example of unfair labor practices and discrimination within the START program. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Janisha. Next, um, uh, actually, I just wanna confirm the kind of next uh, in, 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 in the setting, I mean, in, in, the, in the queue. Cecile goes on, we'll go next. Cecile, we'll call you in one second. Then I have, um, Ariana Casanova. Good evening, Ariana. Hi, Maria. Um, Veronica's here. She's back on. Just FYI. So uh, I'll give. Uh, uh, I'll put. Thank you. I'll put Veronica uh, in, back in the deck. So after Ariana Casanova, Maria, Irma Romero, and Troy, and then we'll. I think that's it. I and see Sabrina we'll has her hand up as well, and she's from John George. She wants to speak. If Sabrina will, uh, uh, sure, I'll put Sabrina after Troy, and then and we'll then you got Kata. You did you guys message Rona? Oh, and then I, Queen. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> Kata Queen. All right. Well, let's just let's just do the next group of three. Cecile, good evening. I thought um, I hi. saw Cecile. Yeah, hi. There she is. Good evening, Cecile. Um, my name is Cecile. I'm a nurse case manager at Highland Hospital. I'm here to tell you that the leadership failures and indifference of our VP of case management, Sheila Lizewa, to the daily operations of our department are troubling. So are her lack of transparency, her tolerance of our managers bullying and retaliatory behavior, her total disregard for the staff's knowledge and experience, her deliberate failure to follow the MOU, Sheila has made our workplace toxic and hostile. The predictable consequence is all-time low morale. A lot of us are suffering from physical and mental exhaustion. For these reasons, and after much discussion and contemplation, we undertook a vote of no confidence in our leaders in our department led by Sheila Laiswa. Despite anticipated further threat of workplace retaliation, our staff are standing up for what we believe is right for our department. We urge you to investigate the operations and leadership of the Alameda Health System Case Management Department. One more relevant issue I'd like to raise as a public employee, magnet hospitals such as John Muir and Stanford have no VP of case management. So why does Alameda Health System pay over $350,000 a year of public funds to pay the VP of case management? We hope and believe that you as leaders and role models will make the right decisions and choose what is, what is in the best interest for the dedicated employees of Alameda Health System and the community that we serve. Thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you, Cecile, for your comments. Um, next, we'll go with Ariana, then Maria, then Irma. Hi, Hi Ariana. Ariana Casanova. I'm um, the current third field rep at AHS. For SEIU 10 to 1, I will be transitioning to be the political coordinator of the East Bay, so I will be visiting you all in my new role as a political organizer. But I'm here today to talk about two things. One, I want to give a huge shout out and props to Christine and Richard over in the SNF for their quick response to the union when there was concerns about the red zone, yellow zone, 
and COVID positive patients and staff, their response in working with us and having a plan and together sharing it with the membership is what every other area in the system should be doing. We should be communicating, coordinating, and involving at every level so that we can provide the best patient and staff outcomes for safety. During the pandemic, this is our fifth surge. This is nothing new. That has not been the case in other areas. You will hear that. We did get a late response, but we need to be more collaborative and, and be involved and have a clear chain of how things are to be done at John George and at other sites and in other departments. For example, you know, we had this outbreak <laughs> in EVS and, and we found out through the process of the SNF, not because EVS contacted Diana Bello about it. And so we need to be able to be more transparent, work together so that we can find creative solutions to what we're all facing because that's why we're all here. And that's all I have to say. I, it's been an honor to have been a field rep um, the last three years at AHS and working with all of you, um, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and thank you for all your public service. 30 seconds. Thank you, Ariana, so much for your words. And we'll be seeing you in that different version, I think. Um, next, we'll go with Maria, then Irma Romero, then Troy. Hi, my name is Maria Betancourt. I'm a shop steward at John George. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of the employees of John George. The employees there are very concerned about the changes that AHS has made in these last few days regarding COVID positive mental, mental health patients. The AHS created a COVID unit on unit B without speaking to the union. No communication went out to us at all or to the employees, they've been having meetings with employees here and there, not all the employees, just some of the employees, with what we call direct dealing. And AHS needs to respect and involve the stewards and the employees when they do something like this. They need to create a space to collaborate with us and create solutions for staff concerns and patient care issues. John George is not like the other medical facilities. We're, we're very unique and it requires prompt and appropriate responses that normally we don't get from leadership at age at, well, I will say leadership at John George. John George should not be the place to resolve Highlands over, over overcrowding issues. We're not a medical facility and we really need to protect the patients that are not COVID positive, that are in the same exact unit that they're putting COVID positive patients in. Um, over the years, I've tried to, to work with every administration that's been at John George. It just seems that management continues with the same behavior of ignoring us like it happened Monday. And um, I hope that other people on this call also get on and, and voice their concerns. I'm not, a cl I'm not clinical staff, but a lot of the clinical staff have lots of concerns about what's going on at John George. Thank you. Thanks for your comments, Maria. Next is Irma Romero, then Troy, and I'm still waiting for my clerk, but I think it'll be Sabrina, and then Kita, and then Queen. I think that's how it's going to go. Let's do uh, uh, Irma, then Troy. Good afternoon, Board of Trustees. My name is Irma Romero, and I am a licensed clinical social worker who has worked for the START program at Highland Hospital for over three years. This program is a necessary component for the community as it serves victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. I am here today because it is my ethical duty to report the mismanagement of this unit under the existing leadership. 
You may ask what is wrong, and I simply can say everything. From a supervisor who is incapable of supervising due to the inability to pass the California State Licensing Exam, to the inequities in wages based on race and job assignments, I have witnessed an abundance of incidences reflective of mismanagement. A year after this unit was reclassified from a fully staffed unit of dedicated community health workers, it remains understaffed. The current SART social workers committed to serving this community are instructed not to call management unless it is to report an absence. This is a 24-hour program without after-hours supervision. I am weary of the words, we are working on it. I am more disillusioned with the unwillingness to promote from within. This is, 30 a, seconds. This is a unit which serves victims, but the true victims are both the SART social workers and the patients who seek services at Highland Hospital. Thus, I come before the board imploring that the SART unit receive aid to obtain managers and not absent dictators. Thank you. Thank you, Irma. Next, we'll do Troy, then Sabrina, and then Queen. Um, Veronica, I, I never forget you. Veronica, you'll be on the list too. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Troy Nixon. I'm at John George in the emergency room. I'm also a shop steward. I'm calling in because we're concerned about this very quick um, and irresponsible decision management has made overnight to convert uh, one of our psychiatric units into a COVID unit. Um, this decision was made just yesterday. Um, the staff was told that this was something that was just in discussion and no decision has been made. And since yesterday, the decision has been made and they have um, been receiving COVID positive patients who are also in um, psychological crisis. What's different about our patients who are COVID positive, even though they may be asymptomatic, is that they don't understand the importance of when someone is COVID positive that they should always wear a mask they should maintain uh, their distance from other people and they need to also wash their hands. And so because they don't understand that, um, they put everybody who is COVID negative at risk of becoming COVID positive. In addition to that, a lot of our patients um, who are having serious mental problems become violent. They spin on staff, they assault staff, they will fight staff and they don't understand that uh, when you have COVID that you, there are certain things you need to do in order to keep people around you safe. So management has made this very poor decision, um, not really looking at the uh, ramifications and the risks that it posed to staff and patients and certainly have not come up with a plan on how they are to, how they are to be managed while they are uh, being cared for on a unit. So uh, we are very, uh, you know, um, it's unfortunate that this has happened and I think it's irresponsible on their part. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Troy. Next we'll do Sabrina, 
Queen, Rayana Rashid, and then Veronica Palacios. So um, let's go with Sabrina, please. Scanning for Sabrina. There Hello. Hi, Sabrina. Hi, my name is Sabrina Gage. Um, I'm a nurse on Unit B, and I was a charge nurse today, and I received our first COVID patient from Highland, and it was not a smooth transition. Um, on top of all the, the staff having the rug pulled out from us, not knowing that we were going to start today, um, and being concerned that we, we don't have a negative pressure room, we don't have ventilation, it's a locked unit, all the windows are shut. We were told that, you know, if we would like to have better ventilation, just to leave the patio door open, and that should be sufficient to, for, to keep the, the unit safe and, um, you know, keep our our negative patients from turning positive because we still have patients who are not infected with COVID on the unit. Um, it seems like every decision that management is making is done at the spur of the moment. There was no thought put into it and no concern for our patients or the staff. And the answer that we're, we're getting is that they're not symptomatic and we shouldn't worry about infecting our patients that are still on a unit or the staff that come to care for the patients. 30 seconds. We are understaffed. The patients that we have are agitated. They don't want to stay in the room and they want to fight the nurses physically and they want to spit on the nurses. We have one patient on one-to-one -one because he said, I'm going to give you COVID and he spit, tried to spit at the nurse. We are, we are definitely in crisis with COVID and not being protected by our administration. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Sabrina. Next we'll do Queen, Rayana Rashid, and then Veronica. Good evening, Queen. Good evening. My name I is saw Queen. Queen before. Where are you, Queen? Oh, yeah. there you are. Got it. Here. Good evening. My name is Queen Adupoku. I am the National Association of Social Worker Director of Region C that covers Alameda counties, Contra Costa County, Solano <laughs> counties. I am also an LCSW medical social worker on the SART team. The National Association of Social Workers California chapter voices brave concerns about the poor working conditions at Alameda Health Systems. NASW is the largest association in the nation that represents the interests of professional social workers. Medical social workers are AHS's central resource to ensuring whole person care goes beyond physical ailments and address not, addresses root social needs. Social workers are healers, professional advocates, and skilled behavioral health practitioners. Despite the key part the medical social workers play in patient care, we have been notified about continuously declining poor working conditions. Caseloads are at untenable one social worker to 69 patients during weekdays and weekend shifts. And on the sexual, shark, sexual assault response and recovery team, also known as SART, there's no supervision during the second and third shifts. This ratio results in the social workers being unable to provide quality care to their patients, which violates our professional code of ethics 
acts in barrier to high standard of service and plays an actively harmful role in the system's capacity to provide meaningful care, meaningful self-care. Our members also report medical social workers have been denied clinical supervision toward licensure, which is a clear pathway for professional development. It is our understanding that during the evening and overnight shifts, there are no available social work supervisor for consultation for medical social workers on shift. If there are complex cases within the health system, it is always a best practice to avail personnel of appropriate vision to ensure cases are being addressed in the most clinically astute manners. We believe the board of trustees must be aware of the unjust working conditions which have resulted in a reduced quality of care. Social workers must have reasonable caseloads and be provided with professional development opportunities in order to maintain high standards. We welcome ongoing dialogue regarding these needs and respectfully request your action to address them. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Queen. Um, uh, I'm gonna take a little bit of pause here. Madam Clerk, I have two left on the docket and I think uh, that's probably gonna be our closeout because we have a busy agenda. I have Rayana Rashid and Veronica Palacios. Were there any other submissions before we just had this discussion? Um, I, yeah, no, I just have those two and then I think we're done. Okay, so we will hear uh, from Rayana Rashid and then we'll, uh, we'll let Veronica close it out for us. Good evening, Rayana, I thought I saw her. Good evening, there hello. Hi, Good yes, evening. Thank you. Good evening, thank you for your time. Uh, my name is Rayana Rashid. I'm a medical social worker at Highland Hospital. Um, we as a team are continuously understaffed and underworked, which has become the new norm for us, unfortunately. We have addressed our burnout to our managers, violating the MOU caseload with little to no support. We cannot keep staff due to workloads and toxic work environment created by our management. In the past two months, we've had Five care management, full-time employees significantly lower their FTEs, become SANS or leave due to the work environment. I personally have experienced retaliation, threats, backlash on a public platform with HR, union rep, VP, Sheila, and 20 other members when speaking up about the unsafe environment of being one social worker for the whole inpatient unit. Staff in in return are afraid to speak up when addressing issues and providing solutions, which has caused fear in our department. We have no true leadership when escalating safety concerns or receiving support. We are met with no answers or little to no follow-up stating we will take it offline with no follow-up. In result, as a department, we have submitted a vote of no confidence. Thank you. Thank you, Rayana, for your comments. Good evening, Veronica. Good evening, Dr. Bouquet. How are you today? Good to see you as well. You, you, get, to, too, you well. get to you get to close it up for us this evening, Veronica. Great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Good evening, Board of, board of Trustees and all. Uh, forgive my video off, but I'm actually here in the hospital today. So uh, really quick. Good evening. This is Veronica Palacios, Chapter President. There is nothing more than I can add than what you have heard here tonight. Please consider what you have heard from members concerning the discrimination and harassment they are facing in the care management department to the concerns of understaffing and leadership decisions that were addressed by our John George employees. Our members fight is the fight of 3000 members. 
Thank you also to the Fairmont leadership for everything that was done today to protect our patients and our members. Our chapter board is in full support of our members at John George and the care, manage, uh, care management department. Thank you. Veronica, thank you for your comments. That will close out the public comment section. I'll say uh, appreciation to the 12 uh, speakers who came and, and braved uh, the public forum this evening. As we try to maintain all feedback is a gift and uh, uh, we have to, uh, can't just say it, we need to try and live it. So thank you for your feedback. With that, we'll go into, uh, we'll enter into the uh, agenda item uh, B, uh, the next one, the executive offers report. This has four segments to it. The first one is um, item B1. I'm happy to say that there's official documents uh, stating the reappointment of trustees Mark Friedman and Splen Splendorio to this board. So congratulations to these trustees and thank you for continuing your service with us. Uh, this is not an action item. Uh, this is, uh, we are in receipt of this from our board of supervisors. I'll open up this, up, this item up for a, a comment, Penny. <coughs> thank you, uh, Trustee Splendorio and Trustee Friedman for sticking around with us. Uh, um, so with that, let's go to item B2. Uh, the, uh, it, this is entitled the election of the 2022 board officers of the board of trustees. Remember that our current bylaws for this board of trustees, which is approved by the board of supervisors, requires annual election of executive officers. Uh, we do this at the first meeting of uh, full board meeting of the year, and that is this meeting. All these terms are one-year terms, and again, uh, reappointed on the annual basis. So I will now open the floor for nominations to the executive officer positions, which include the president, the vice president, and secretary treasurer. Trustees? Um, I'll nominate Cass Kep for chair, president of the board. Dr. Second. I'll nominate. Um, uh, Tracy Jensen for vice president. Second. Well, I was going to nominate an entire slate, which would have been the existing slate for an additional year. If, if we could have one motion, it might be a little easier. It might be, but just to close out the, 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 the principles here, I will nominate trustee Esteen to maintain her position as secretary treasurer. And then I'll second so, that. Okay. So with that, um, with the proviso uh, we that we do it all in one motion. How's that? Yes, sir. Yeah, but we, now we can go around to one motion. Uh, are there any, any other trustees who are interested in such a position? We invite all interested parties. <laughs> Council, will you guide us through uh, this election? It would, be, uh, it, 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 it would be awkward for one of the nominees uh, to conduct the election, wouldn't it? We're not gonna be that kind of country. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, Chair Bouquet, so uh, Trustee Splint uh, moved, and if we get a second, then we'll go into roll call. Second. I'll second. So the, so the motion on the board is to approve the pre-existing slate of executive officers, and that's been seconded. Correct. Okay. Madam Clerk, can, can you roll call us? I can. I believe Splendoria moved and Friedman seconded um, for the full slate to move forward. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. 
Uh, Trustee Blue, I don't think is in the room yet. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes, thank you. Thank you officers. And we got conned in doing it again. So uh, with that, um, uh, appreciations. Uh, and uh, uh, with all sincerity, thank you for having faith in this uh, group of executive officers to continue. We close out item B2. We'll now go to item B3, which is the 2022 committee membership and chairs. Uh, a little nuance of the bylaws is that the chair appointments uh, uh, for the subcommittees and the uh, committee appointments are sort of at the leisure of the president. You guys just reelected me, so let's do this. Um, uh, let's do the audit compliance committee. The, the, the changes to the audit compliance committee will be as follows. Uh, the good trustee Fox will step down as chair of the audit compliance committee, and he will step off the committee. We'll tell you why in a second. Trustee Friedman will become the chair of the audit compliance committee. Therefore, the new makeup on the audit compliance committee will be uh, Bouquet, Blue, Friedman Chair, and Splendorio. Next is the Finance Committee. The pertinent changes are uh, that Trustee Esteen will step down as chair of the Finance Committee, but maintain her position on the committee. She's done great work for us this past year, so appreciation for her on that. Trustee Fox will become the new chair of the Finance Committee. Therefore, the new um, uh, constitution of the Finance Committee will be uh, Bouquet ex officio non-voting, Blue Esteen, Fox, Chair, Friedman, and Splendorio. Um, human Resources Committee. There will be no changes in the Human Resources Committee. So just to reiterate what that will be. That will be Bouquet, uh, ex officio. Blue will maintain her chairmanship. Estine and Jensen. And last but not least is the QPSC. The change is that Trustee Friedman will be stepping off of the QPSC. That will therefore leave Banerjee, Bouquet as chair, Esteen and Jensen for the QPSC. This is the uh, makeup for the 2022 permanent committees of the, of the uh, Board of Trustees. Um, any comments or questions, uh, trustees? Please note that we are down one uh, trustee uh, with uh, Trustee Dong's resignation. And when we get a ninth trustee, rest assured that, uh, that they will be supporting uh, uh, these committees as well. So um, appreciate everyone for their past year of service on those committees. And we still got a lot of work to do. With that, we will close out item B3 and we will go to item B4, the board meeting calendar. Uh, I'll note that this is in your packet. Uh, there is a memo um, uh, drafted uh, by me, actually drafted by Rana. Thank you, Rana, um, regarding the 2022 board calendar, along with dates of our fixed meetings. The caveat is that we're still waiting to include where our retreat dates will be. Um, I think uh, by process, it would be very good to approve our board calendar. So uh, can I entertain a motion to approve the board calendar as submitted? moved. Second. Madam Clerk, roll call. Um, can I make a comment, please? 
Uh, of course, of course. I think I've communicated to uh, Rana that the finance committee meeting of uh, October 5th is one that I will not be able to attend. So um, just with that caveat, I'm fine with approving the calendar, but just that I think Ron is aware that, that we need to make a change on that date. Duly noted, Trustee Fox. <laughs> Thank you, sir. With that, um, can we roll call it? Yes, uh, I believe uh, Estine moved and Jensen seconded. Um, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Oh, she's not here. I'm sorry. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you, Madam Clerk. So we have ourselves a calendar for the year. Uh, uh, normally, the executive officer's report really is exclusive to maintaining an article. I've submitted an article for our review. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting article. It's largely a survey article from the New England Journal authors, which surveys uh, over 750 respondents from organizations around the country. This includes executives, physicians, and the like. I won't go through this entirely, but I want to tell you the mindset of my thinking on this is, as everyone knows, our big to-do of this year as board members are to approve a strategic plan. So high-performing organizations as a concept is an interesting one. Who wouldn't want to be behind such a concept? Uh, and that's why this article I, I found particularly illuminating in that uh, it was a survey of, of other healthcare executives and providers who have thoughts on this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to state a few highlights of this and then open this up for any dialogue. Again, I think this, uh, for any of us who are about to be uh, part of the process for the strategic planning, I think this is a good read. Um, a few highlights. In a survey of half, in, in this survey, half of the respondents state that their organizations have a stated goal of being high performing. Half of the respondents state that in their goal, in their stated goals, they want to be a high performing organization. Another quarter of the respondents said that it was just a tacit goal. So the, this concept of stating what you're going to be, I think, is going to be an important one vis-a-vis -vis our strategic planning. Three quarters of those surveyed believe that only a small fraction of healthcare organizations today are actually high performing. Three quarters of the respondents also agree that there is actually little consensus around the definition of a high performing organization. 77% of respondents believe that unaligned goals among stakeholders are a barrier to high performance. This one was a, a nice take home for me. Uh, there's, there's a decent amount of data. It's not a difficult read. It's you know, maybe a seven pager or so. Uh, and, and I ask us uh, to read this in our contemplation about moving towards this concept of actually being a high performing organization. Last statement that they, they put in there, it's not necessarily evidence-based and you know, one can argue whether it's author fluff, but it's, it said, Regardless of this poor definition amongst all these respondents, it is asserted that lack of financial strength need not be a deterrent in becoming a high-performing organization. That's a brave statement. Um, uh, we'll have to see whether that's true. I hope it's part of our journey to become a high-performing organization. 
With that, I'll close out my comments for item B4, any B5, any comments from uh, the trustees? Trustee Friedman. Yeah, I found it to be a very interesting article, but I found one criteria sadly lacking. Uh, labor management relations was not mentioned at all. In the example of high performing exemplars on the last page include Amazon, Walmart, and other companies that are notoriously terrible in terms of wages and benefits and can working conditions. And whenever I see these high price consultants writing this kind of thing without taking into account the people who actually work there and how they're treated, I, uh, it, it, it's hard to take the whole thing seriously, although there were some good points. Good comment, Trustee Friedman. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, thank you, Trustee Friedman. That was the first thing that stuck out at me too, that some of the um, in companies lauded and uh, held up at, as examples have like really bad record of how they treat the employees. But the other thing also was that the responses were very uh, kind of looked at who, what, what, people's positionality within the system was. So oh, if you had clinical staff, more of the clinical staff said quality is more important. Cost was low on their, um, on their radar uh, as, as an essential factor. Patient safety and quality was more important. And when you talked about like, how do you think about their own organizations, it was generally management that tend to get, give higher grades to themselves than it was for um, other non-management non or clinical staff. So also some of those were very indicative of like which is the area that one is working in and how that can seem um, uh, uh, the core importance. And I think that really shows two, two things. One is that in the, in the planning process that we have, how might we um, have folks uh, really focus down on their areas of work, but also have that 360 of these health and well-being and sustainability mm -hmm. of the organization. But two, also that we've heard from uh, Dr. Akileshwaran and others that uh, we have folks who are hungry, who uh, are for to engage in the solutions about fiscal issues, about financial planning and things. And I think that the onus is also on us right now to be more inclusive, both in identifying issues and problems and strengths, but also in the solution forming of those. Trustee Banerjee, thank you for your comments. Uh, you know, you make me think when we talk about our people, uh, a quote attributed to Eisenhower is, those who plan the battle do not battle the plan. Um, so I think uh, there, there is a, there's a lot of great wisdom uh, that we have to continue to learn here. Trustees, any other comments on this article? Yeah, yeah, I'll weigh in. Yes, sir. Well, I don't know why you gave it to us, but I will uh, tell you that um, you know, high performance is now in the, for me, and this article exemplifying, these authors exemplified it is in the category of what, used, what people used to consider about beauty or, or that the Supreme Court considered about pornography. It's in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> and um, the, the biggest mistake, and I think these authors made that mistake, because you read the quotes from these healthcare professionals, is that they are judging high performance from their, they're solely from their perspective mm -hmm. and not 
uh, and maybe apparently lack the ability to look in it from a different perspective to see how it's judged. And I, the examples that they gave that they think that um, Starbucks is uh, a high performer or that Amazon is a high performer. And I suspect if you ask them that, why Starbucks is because uh, they can order off of an app, they can drive through and pick up their coffee in two minutes, which only tells you that's from the perspective of the consumer. If you know the perspective of the employee is going to be different, the perspective of the manager is going to be different. And the same thing of Amazon. You know, we all think Amazon, or a lot of us think Amazon is contrary to what Mark said, is great because I can order something and tomorrow I get it. That's not the only perspective. That's not the job of a director or a fiduciary. That's what management is supposed to do is be able to look at as many different angles and use as diverse a group as hopefully we've assembled here to look at uh, a, a situation and, and to get to high performance, you have to factor in all many different perspectives. So that's what I got out of it. Um, probably not what you expected <laughs> to, for someone to get out of it, but that's what I did. So that's what I see a lot of. Well, that, you know, Trustee Splendori, I, I appreciate those comments because I, I you know, I, I think we're aligned on, uh, on a number of these things. Uh, beauty is sometimes in the eye of the beholder. And, and the great thing is we're the beholder and for ourselves and uh, in large part. So we get to help de define what, how would we define ourselves? If we were to def define ourselves as a high performing organization, what would be those parameters? Is it staff satisfaction, patient satisfaction? Is it the steep criteria out of quality? I think this is a great kind of exit time. We're in the right time as we're developing our strategic plan to have those sort of existential questions. And then to make sure that we've crowdsourced uh, as much as we can uh, uh, the feedback and input because uh, those who plan the battle don't battle the plan. And I think we got a lot of uh, interested stakeholders uh, who care deeply about the system uh, from within and from without. Um, with that, I'm uh, Trustee Banerjee, you have your hand up or is that from before? Okay. Um, Sorry, that was from before. Okay. Uh, as always, appreciate the dialogue. Um, let's keep it going. Um, always. With that, we'll close out item B and we'll go to item C. Uh, good evening, Mr. Jackson. Good evening, Chair Bouquet. Good evening, sir. Uh, happy New Year. And uh, lead us off with the CEO, first CEO report of the year. Happy to do so. Thank you very much. Good evening, trustees and um, staff and members of the public. Thank you for being here this evening. Um, I will move expeditiously through my report, but certainly happy to take questions at the end. Um, so uh, let's dive right in. First slide, please. So this slide is a, a prelude to um, a number of bullets um, that were excerpted from a document that I sent out to the organization at the end of the year. Um, and it was a reflection on the prior 12 months. Um, it was an opportunity to really um, reflect on what we had achieved together as an organization. So I'm not intending to read these to you, but I wanted to put them in the record and happy to discuss um, anything that the trustees feel should be brought forward for further discussion. So next slide, please. Um, I will start off just acknowledging in post-acute, um, we continue to receive very high marks from um, CMS for the quality of care. And, and it's just of note 
that these star ratings illustrate the important differences in quality among nursing homes that help residents and their families make better care decisions. And so, you know, my hat's off. Um, you heard them mentioned earlier, Richard Espinoza, Christine, and the teams in our post-acute facilities are consistently um, achieving high marks. Moving to operations, um, the best initiative, building excellent sustainability and trust. And you're gonna hear more on that later this evening and so I will not belabor it, but we are already starting to see the dividends of the engagement with the Huron team, which we're very excited about. Um, moving to the level two ultrasound. This is one of those aha moments where this is something that um, I think we've been hiding our light under a bushel. We have physicians in the Alameda Health System who are, they're renowned. They are known across the country as being leaders in this modality. And we didn't have it available within our organization. So patients were having to be transferred out to receive these sorts of uh, diagnostic procedures. And so now they can get it within AHS from our providers who are amply qualified to provide that care. And so, you know, kudos to Mark Fratsky um, for taking this one by the horns and making this happen. Next slide, please. Um, the ED phlebotomy program um, is something that, again, a bit of an aha moment. Um, we did not have dedicated phlebotomists in the emergency room at Highland. And so that was an opportunity to really, knowing that that's one of the key integral elements of doing that work. And so we have added 5.5 positions and you can see some of the benefits that we anticipate um, reaping by virtue of adding these FTEs, including unnecessary reduction in unnecessary antibiotic treatments, um, reduction of length of stay and um, addressing potential antibiotic resistance and more. And um, also obviously helping us with our sepsis reduction efforts. Um, and saving money potentially for the system to the tune of two to $3 million a year. And we think that patient satisfaction will be improved as well by virtue of adding these uh, FTEs. Looking to ambulatory, um, it was you know obviously a very challenging year for everybody in the system, but our ambulatory team really stepped up um, to help us address COVID and some of the challenges that we saw there. Um, and so we were really pleased to, um, we have administered more than 31,000 vaccines, which we consider to be a heroic task. And obviously we will be doing more. Um, the pediatric team has been working really diligently to connect children with wellness checks and critical vaccines. And we were recently recognized by uh, the Department of Healthcare Services as being one of the top performers in the state in this area. And then um, acknowledging that our Healthcare for the homeless mobile van continues to do stellar work and um, really helping address, meet people where they are to give them the care that they deserve. Next slide, please. In regards to our workforce, um, we continue on our journey to implementing the just culture. Um, during the chat today, I spoke a little bit about this. When we were trying to get people to take the survey last year, um, I got a lot of feedback, frankly, from people saying, one, you don't do anything with the information. Two, it's not shared with us. And at that time, administratively, we asked for what I considered to be their trust and their grace, that we would do the right thing with the information that came from the Culture of Safety Survey. And we are um, honoring our commitment. We are um, working diligently to engage staff to build the plans. Um, you know, and I love the quote, uh, Chair Bouquet, I think you said if when 
people, the people who make the battle plans don't battle the plan. I'm, I'm mangling it to some extent, but really letting the staff be a part of building the future that they want to see. And so that's the work that's underway right now with this just, just culture work. Leadership rounding, um, you've heard a lot from me on leadership rounding, and that's really become um, standard work for our team. I'm really excited that people like Patricia Espeseth, um, Mark Brown, Mario Harding, and others, and not to mention Mark Kratzky, of course, um, and uh, Felicia Tornabene are really um, taking this to heart and doing a great job of getting out and being present in the workspaces. Um, our desktop chat, it continues to be great. Today, we had over 340 people um, give of their time during the noon hour to come and, and dialogue with us. And then the Schwartz rounds. We have another one tomorrow. Um, I participate in those and not because I have to. I find them beneficial to myself personally, and I think the staff does as well. In regards to finance, um, I'm not going to speak to this too much because um, our CFO will come on later and spend a lot of time doing a deep dive. But Suffice to say, we are really making progress by virtue of the efforts of the revenue cycle team um, and the, the best initiative and a lot of others um, are doing great work and it's translating to the bottom line. And so we're terribly excited about that. Um, moving to information systems, um, we have a lot to be proud of and particularly achieving most wired level seven recognition and um, also there's some work on the Gold Star program at Epic that I'm gonna be speaking to a little later in my presentation. Next slide, please. And a little later is right now. And so this is the Gold Star document that we received from Epic. And you can see that we're a seven and um, that's in the upper left corner. If you look just to the right of that, you can see where a seven places us. Um, about a year ago, we were, I'm told we were about a five and a half to a six. So we've moved from, as you can see, being just below the middle of the pack in to the higher portion. I was told today by Kevin Shorten, who leads in this area, um, that we are actually about a 7.5. And so um, our journey continues, but moving towards being, you know, one of the higher rated facilities in regards to the Epic Gold Star rating. So very proud of our IT team and their work in um, in the few years that we've been an EPIC organization, really making us one of the higher performing EPIC um, facilities, organizations. Next slide, please. Moving to our operations and program update. Next slide. Sustainability. Next slide, please. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the budget that Governor Newsom released earlier this week. Um, I just want to share a few highlights from the budget. I ask you to bear in mind that these are just some, but not all of the issues that we are tracking. The good news is that the state has a surplus of almost $46 billion, and the governor's blueprint takes on five of California's biggest challenges, including COVID-19, climate change, homelessness, cost of living, inequality, as well as street crime. And so um, I'm gonna highlight a few items pertaining specifically to healthcare delivery that are in the budget proposal. Um, first of all, in regards to um, CalAIM, as you know, we've been working on the preparedness of CalAIM and contracted providers for enhanced care management. And so there are $2.8 billion in CalAIM in the proposed budget. Um, Next, uh, proposing to expand full scope Medi-Cal coverage to all income eligible adults, regardless of immigration status, no sooner than January 1st. Um, this really is in keeping with the governor's commitment to health access. 
And so this specifically is for undocumented adults aged 26 to 49 and would result in a reduction in health pack enrollment um, as we see this. The next item um, in regards to 1.7 over three years to expand the state's um, health and human services workforce. Um, the workforce challenges have been well-documented. You heard some of that in the public comment earlier. Um, uh, the governor has identified $1.7 billion over three years to expand the, state, the state's health and human services workforce. And this includes training strategies to increase the state's workforce of nurses, social workers, emergency medical technicians, behavioral health providers, and community health care workers. And so we're very excited about the prospect there. Looking to the 1.4 billion for Medi-Cal community-based mobile crisis services. Um, we, this, we see this as an effort to reduce the number of patients with untreated behavioral health conditions that come to emergency rooms and to psychiatric facilities. And so we think that this $1.4 billion will go a long way to helping um, intercede and intervene appropriately. And then finally, the governor committed to working with public hospitals to affirm Medi-Cal payments for public hospitals. Um, we believe this is an acknowledgement of the public hospital's long-term financial challenges, and it commits to working with public hospital systems to reform Medi-Cal payments for them. The goal of these payments, um, reform, this payment reform is to drive systematic transformation to provide person-centered care, reduce administrative burden, and to focus on integration, quality outcomes, as well as value. Next slide, please. Thank you, moving to patient experience. Um, I wanna talk about the Care Pathways Program, which is being implemented um, at Highland, which we are terribly excited about. Um, this program really um, is acknowledgement that we have experienced many delays in discharges due in large part to dialysis placement and services. And this program will help us place patients as well as to expedite the process. So we're excited to be implementing this. Um, we are collaborating with Patient Pathways to provide this service um, for patients diagnosed with end-stage renal disease. Um, I, I will not read the, other, the balance of the slide to you, but suffice to say that we think this is going to be a, a patient satisfier, but it will also relieve the burden for people who are using emergency departments for the dialysis services. Next slide, please. Warm care handoffs and ambulatory. Um, really, um, I think it's very cool that primary care is starting um, in about a week. They're going to be utilizing the secure group chat um, function um, within Epic to request warm handoffs from primary care integrated behavioral team. And so as patients are moving to a specialty provider, they can essentially create what we call a warm handoff, which is a, a personal connection. So the people aren't just referred to a provider without having actually had their primary provider make the connection to them. And so we think this is going to be a patient satisfier as well as help facilitate the transition from the primary care to the specialty care. Next slide, please. Um, thank you very much, moving to workforce. Um, I mentioned uh, briefly earlier about the rounding. The rounding continues. Um, during the holidays, we slowed down just a bit, but we will be uh, reinitiating the dedicated rounds across the entire system. Um, I was asked uh, last month, where are we gonna keep on rounding? Um, where are we gonna keep the program going? And I just emphatically would say, without a doubt, um, my learnings have been tremendous over the course of the past year by virtue of being out and interfacing with staff. Um, I think it's been mutually beneficial. And so I'm just very excited and happy that the balance of the executive team is uh, 
also participating in dedicated rounds. Next slide, please. Want to talk about vaccinations. As of the 10th of January, we have um, um, about 95% of our active employees are fully vaccinated, which we are very proud about, leaving, of course, 5% unvaccinated. And so they're getting regular testing. Um, now boosters are required. And at this point in time, 55% um, of our staff have received their boosters. And so um, that's not where we want to be, but certainly it's it's progress. And so we will continue to track this and really urge people to get their booster shots. Next slide, please. That brings us to the end of my presentation. And so trustees, I'm happy to take any questions or elaborate as you would like. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Trustees sure. opening the floor for our CEO. Questions to our CEO. Crickets. Uh, today we are- There we go. <laughs> Yeah, at QPSC or one of the others, I would love to discuss the universal healthcare back on the uh, uh, on the plan again, and where California Association of Public Hospital and where you know any of that. Um, and I see Tangerine. Uh, um, any just any feedback on that from the hospital association? I know that generally it is not, but in California. No, I think we're all excited about the proposal. Um, as you may know, uh, starting in um, May, uh, the governor will be expanding uh, state-only Medi-Cal to undocumented individuals who meet the income eligibility who are aged 50 and above. And so that's starting uh, right around the corner. Um, I know that Alameda County is preparing for that. And so this remaining population of you know, 26 to 49 is the remaining uh, population and the state is committed to expanding coverage irrespective of immigration status. And so we are certainly pleased with uh, the state moving forward th with this. And they've done it in a very, I think, thoughtful and stepwise process. Thank you, Thank you for Thank that you. insight, Ms. Brigham. Thanks for your question, uh, Trustee Banerjee. Trustees, any other questions of our CEO? With that, we'll close out item C. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. We'll now go into item D, medical staff reports. We have three of our medical staff leaders. Um, I wanna welcome back Dr. Irina Williams, who's coming back from a, a little bit of time off. Dr. Williams, if uh, to remind the audience, is an anesthesiologist and pain management specialist and the chief of staff for uh, uh, Highland and the San Leandro medical staff. We have Dr. Adrasef Zali. I don't see a, maybe, there he is. Uh, we have Dr. Adrasef Zali, who's an emergency department physician. He is a member of the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. And of course, we have Dr. Nikita Joshi, who is the, an emergency department doctor and the new uh, chief of staff for Alameda Hospital. So doctors, welcome this evening. Um, let's start off uh, with Dr. Williams. Good evening, Dr. Williams. Good evening, and thank you, Dr. Bouquet, for welcoming me back. <laughs> I was on maternity leave, and I returned last month. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm a little bit under the weather, so forgive me. <laughs> um, we did not have a medical executive committee meeting in December. That's why there is no written report. Um, 
I do feel that it's important to bring up verbally some of the sort of concerns and uh, important uh, topics that are um, pertinent to our medical staff. And I think today there is really one issue that everyone is talking about, is concerned about. It's the COVID and the ongoing surge. Um, I, our medical staff members obviously are concerned about the shortages uh, of the medical staff and clinic staff and hospital staff given multiple exposures and providers being sick. Uh, there are also some concerns about provider and patient safety. Uh, and we're trying to keep up with all the ongoing changes with the recommendations from the state and the local um, and system leadership. So uh, in terms of our priorities, I think right now, this is the main priority for everyone, getting through the surge, understanding how we can all function better, how we can do things safely, how we can cover for each other, how we can sort of lean in and step in to provide support for our mm -hmm. patients and our teams. Trustees, any other questions of Dr. Williams? Or sorry, any questions of Dr. Williams? Dr. Williams, I, I, I uh, fully appreciate that comment vis-a-vis -vis COVID. Uh, I guess my question to you is, do you feel like you're resourced uh, to have the space uh, to work through these dialogues with the administration? Do you feel resourced to help navigate many of the difficult questions? I do feel that the administration has been receptive and responsive to the concerns um, that have been raised and brought up. And I appreciate the ongoing dialogue. I'm sure there's a, this, these discussions are not over and they're gonna continue as we're going through this challenging times. Okay. Trustees, any other questions of Dr. Williams? And uh, we might hear a recurring theme from Dr. Zali and Dr. Joshi, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, not but. And we should always be guided by data. Uh, the data is, is pretty eye-opening. Uh, if we look at our COVID dashboard on December 31st, there were 19 COVID-positive uh, patients uh, within the three hospitals of Alameda Health System. As of, I don't know if it was today or yesterday, I think the number, uh, Dr. Tornabeni, uh, uh, help me out if I'm wrong, was around 75. So we've gone from around 19 to around 75 patients over these past two weeks. And that seems to be uh, aligning with what we're seeing around the country. So I, I, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Williams, thank you for highlighting uh, uh, the obvious and important point for us uh, that we need to be considered of. Thank you. Good evening, Dr. Afzali. Happy uh, New Year. Good evening, all. Uh, happy New Year. I'm actually going to defer my report to and introduce uh, uh, Dr. Moganum, who's the co-chair of the SLH Leadership Committee. Uh, he oh, chaired the meeting this past week. Okay. Uh, all, all good. I'm here for support, but I'll let Dr. Moganum take over. He's one of our awesome uh, vascular surgeons, uh, who's also the co-chair of the committee. Uh, Dr. Moganum. Thank you, Edris. Good evening, everybody. Um, so we had our San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee meeting um, earlier this month, and um, it, it was a brief meeting, but we discussed, uh, we, we received an update on the mock joint commission survey from uh, Mr. Harding, and we discussed the continual uh, staffing shortages, which are pervasive through the OR, ICU, ER, and how to navigate our clinical uh, patient loads in that setting, as well as the blood shortages and developed a plan on how to 
um, uh, continue to provide optimal patient care in, in this uh, environment. Additionally, we discussed the process, ongoing process improvements, both in the emergency department and the radiology departments. Um, we discussed a plan for scheduling of elective cases in the operating room um, and, and which were appropriate and how to um, adjudicate which cases that we would be scheduling in order to meet our patients' most urgent needs, but also to preserve capacity um, during the setting of a COVID surge. I look forward to working with uh, Mario Harding, Harding um, our new CAO, on these issues and uh, you know, um, continuing to um, you know, navigate these issues. We presented the 2021 year in a review, and we discussed our achievements in education, access, infrastructure, and clinical improvements. Um, in terms of, just to be brief, in terms of education, we conducted regular simulation sessions for staff in the ICU, inpatient, floor, and ED. Um, we uh, provided PA and student rotations and medical student, we're involving medical students. And also we achieved, obtained some new equipment, both for the ED and for radiology. Um, uh, we have improved access by incorporating telemedicine in for neurosurgery consultation um, and work to improve the transfer process and also established an ethics committee and a sepsis champion in order to um, be able to provide a full range of services at San Leandro Hospital. So thank you for your time. Um, I'm happy to take any questions that uh, the board or anyone may have on the call. Well, first, welcome, Dr. McGowan. Very nice to meet you. I'm sure we'll meet in person sometime soon. Trustees, do we have any questions for Dr. McGowan? Uh, so as point of clarity, uh, Dr. Avzali, are you handing the torch to Dr. McGowan? Uh, and Dr. McGowan will be regularly presenting on behalf of the San Leandro Leadership Committee. Can you advise? Um, I, I will be present for most, most meetings, but when I'm absent, Dr. Maganam will present. Got it. Okay. Uh, Madam Clerk, if we can include Dr. Maganam on all communications related to this, uh, to, to this, uh, to this meeting. Mm -hmm. um, again, welcome, Dr. Maganam. Um, last but not least is Dr. Nikki Joshi. Good evening, Dr. Joshi. Hi, good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as you pointed out, Dr. Piquet, the issues that are vexing HS is also impacting Alameda Hospital. Uh, but I do want to highlight a few specifics. Number one, I want to applaud administration for this week setting up testing for symptomatic employees um, who are symptomatic and who may have COVID-like symptoms. This is something that uh, we hadn't really had available to us during the pandemic, except for this week. And it's been hugely important to help, especially because as we face staffing shortages, we are fast facing a lack of sites in the community by which to get COVID testing for our staff. So I can't underscore how important of a resource this has been made available to us. Um, along with COVID, especially in the emergency department, we've seen a significant rise in patients who are arriving in to the emergency department, not necessarily admissions, because as we all know now, Omicron's severity doesn't seem to be what it was at the start of the pandemic, but the emergency departments in particular are facing a significant rise in volume. And as a result, because of staffing shortages, we are boarding more patients in the emergency department than we had before, which is making patient flow very challenging. So I say this all in that we really need to make sure that we are working to increase the resources available 
to our transfer center, who is really critically important to help us move patients within our system. Alameda Hospital doesn't have many of the specialties, for example, that are available at Highland Hospital. And we need the transfer center to be able to function at full speed in order to help us to move these patients all the more challenging because of staffing. Same thing with John George, we need to be able to work with our partners there in order to be able to move our patients who may be experiencing psychiatric crisis to be able to get to the places that they need to go. Um, otherwise, the surge has really impacted and made it necessary to relook at protocols. I wanna highlight one of our newer administrators, um, Mr. Troy Ashford, who is a radiology, who's been working very hard in order to look at our abilities to do imaging, CT and MRI during the pandemic as just one of many examples of things that we've had to examine more closely. Uh, people are working very, very hard. So I'm grateful for that and uh, we'll see how this continues. And that's the end of my report. Thank you, Dr. Joshi. Um, trustees, questions of uh, any of our three physicians? Yeah, definitely a challenging time, you know. Um, I, I know in years past we've uh, uh, raised this concept, which I which I didn't trademark, which I should have, but congestive hospital failure, right? Um, so, you know, we have the preload on this system is very, very high. There's a lot of patients which are coming in. Uh, the pump uh, can be optimized. Pump would be inter-facility transfers, getting procedures, and we need some afterload reduction, which is we need to have a place to send our patients. So we, it's completely understandable why we are in impending congestive hospital failure. And uh, I will, uh, I, I, I look forward to all of you working together with Dr. Tona Bene and, and, and our administrators to help find uh, best solutions to, uh, to an extraordinarily complex problem. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, here we go again. Uh, fortunately, uh, as, as you've alluded to, Dr. Joshi, uh, the severity does not seem to be as severe, but, you know, uh, as uh, Dr. Bob Walker uh, commented on one of his uh, tweets, it's a little bit different when it's someone you know and someone you love. So there's a lot of this stuff going on. Um, trustees, uh, last chance at our, at, our attend at our positions. Thank you, doctors. Um, we look forward to continually hearing from you and of course in, in the QPSC format as well. With that, we'll close item D. Item E is committee and trustee reports. Boy, do we have uh, an opportunity to make up some time here. Um, so I'll try to navigate us quickly through this. Item E1 is the Human Resources Committee report. Trustee Blue is the committee chair. I don't think Trustee Blue is in the room this evening. So Madam Clerk, let's kick this one down the road for a further report, okay? Actually, Council. Trustee Blue is here, I believe. Oh, I, oh, I apologize. Trustee Blue. There she is. I, I, uh, there she is. I see her in the bottom corner. Good evening, Dr. Uh, Trustee Blue. She might also be driving, which might be difficult. I'll let her chime in and I'll just keep us moving. We also have the Audit and Compliance Committee uh, meeting on November 17th, 2021. Trustee Fox uh, uh, was the committee chair up until this evening. Good evening, Trustee Fox. Good evening, Chair Bouquet. I will help you make up time. Uh, most of the audit and, committee, audit and Compliance Committee agenda on the 17th of November had to do with the presentation of the uh, fiscal year 2021 financial statements and audit report. The board has already uh, approved that and dealt with that issue. So uh, I don't think anything really needs to be said. 
uh, further on that. Uh, the other significant part of the agenda was a report by Ijaz Ali on cybersecurity. He mentioned, uh, among other things, that uh, we are getting between 2.3 and 2.5 phishing email attacks per month. Um, and 85% of them are being blocked by our defensive tools, staggering numbers. Um, just to give you an idea of what's out there and what, how we're being, arrows are coming at us all the time. He estimates, estimates that of those two plus million, dollar, million phishing attacks a month, 80% or so are generated by computers, not individuals who are actually out there sending us emails. Uh, but they're trying to get uh, data on the health of our patients. Maybe 20% are human driven. So that would just give us an idea of what, of what our IT security folks are, are dealing with. And that is, uh, that is my report. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Any questions of Trustee Fox on the Audit and Compliance Committee? Um, I have a question, actually, this might be for either Trustee Fox or for, um, for James with regard to the, the governor's budget. Yes, ma'am. I'm just wondering, was there anything in the budget for cybersecurity? Does anyone know if there was anything there? I have read only uh, what I saw in the San Francisco Chronicle, and I didn't see any mention of that. Nor did I, but I will follow up and um, try to determine that, Trustee Jensen. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Fox, I, uh, I was in the room that evening as well, hearing that IT report, and I, I agree with that. I, I found it staggering uh, how vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the attack, uh, attempted attacks uh, on us and uh, what our IT system is doing to defend, defend us. Um, scary and frightening. Well, and this is not just, I, I mean, this is happening in my other, my day job with the city of Oakland. This is happening, uh, you know, weekly as well. Uh, we're getting similarly um, attacked on a regular basis. Yeah. That, so, and much of it, much of it automated. So uh, to, to give defense to our administration, because I know trustees are a little bit unhappy about the security walls we've set up. <laughs> this is why the security walls we've set up. And yeah, it's not easy to navigate, but I think it's, it's necessary. Um, thank you for your report, Trustee Fox. Uh, uh, next will be the QPSC report. I'll try to make this even quicker. I'm the committee chair. Uh, our meeting was uh, November uh, 24, 21. In the chair's wisdom, he selected the evening before Thanksgiving. Boy, did I get feedback on that. I probably will try not to do that again, um, but uh, maybe I just approved that before, but we'll make adaptation in November. In short, it was a very attenuated version of the meeting. We did our standard work of approving policies, procedures, and credentialing, and, and uh, that was just our standard work. We, we received the written reports. Those are in the doc, in, in, in the, included in the packet. The article included was, uh, it was an obituary uh, for Dr. Amal Khoury, who was uh, a, a very young breast surgeon in our system. And uh, I just wanted to say her name one more time. Uh, she was uh, a beloved doctor in our organization trying to put uh, uh, a breast cancer program on the map for us. So um, rest in peace, Dr. Khoury. So, with that, I'll close out my report on the QPSC uh, from November 24th. Trustees, any questions regarding the QPSC? All right.
Let's go to E4. Uh, this is, uh, I think, Trustee Asin's last report as the committee chair. Uh, she opened up the first meeting of the year just last week. Good evening, Trustee Asin. Thank you so much. Um, we had some really positive news and then we had some uh, news in the other direction, but I'll say we had 4,337 vaccine clinic visits uh, because our community is out there trying to beat COVID and uh, trying to be safe, which is very helpful because we just heard what happens in our ER. Um, visits are really tough and we heard in public comment, the staff is suffering. This is a hard time for healthcare workers everywhere. Um, our net revenue was $6.5 million better than budget expectations, which was 13% higher than we expected. Really, really positive news. And we heard a little bit about this in our CEO report. The accounts receivable improvements are making a big difference. Um, we reannounced the retirement of Terry Manifesto, whose work spearheaded some of those initiatives. Um, but we also found out that there will be a new hire, Sharon Johnson coming very soon, which is great, no gap. Uh, we had uh, $15.1 million in the revenue cycle and ARPA funds are coming to the tune of 17 million, which we also discovered can be used to pay down waivers and supplements that are coming due. So I'm gonna cut it short by saying that was the high note. We also heard really good things from the best performance improvement initiative, and uh, we will hear more about that later on. Uh, so thank you so much for letting me give an abbreviated report. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Uh, trustees, any questions or comments with regard to the Finance Committee meeting from January 5th? I'll, Trustee Esteen, I'm just going to sort of second what you said. It was, uh, boy, was it refreshing to hear our first report of the year to be so nice and uh, 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 I, I saw the smile on our CFO's face during that report, so that made me happy as well. You know, um, uh, it, it, it was a nice thing to hear as we turned the corner into Q3 of this year. Uh, it was a great way to open up the year ahead of budget on our net patient service revenue. Uh, so it's good news, and it, I think it gives us the buffer that we all probably need because every month isn't going to be like that. The buffer we need to hopefully make it to the budget finish line uh, as expected. Uh, so um, congratulations to uh, uh, Ms. Miranda's uh, office and all the people doing the work uh, underneath all that. It was a, it was a nice report and it, it, it'll take some of the edge off. We're gonna hear some not nice reports in a few months as, as expected, but it's on balance. Good evening, Trustee, Trustee Blue, how are you? You're on mute. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, uh, your HR committee from October 20th, a, a report for us, if you don't mind. Okay, it'll be pretty quick. Um, so we are still continuing to recruit for the affinity groups uh, at, at, uh, throughout the service, uh, throughout the system. Uh, we've, uh, there's a employee wellness programs Sophia Newton is heading that up. Um, and so far it's been trying to address the stress and the frustrations and the trauma that staff has gone through over the past two years and continue to experience with the surge and COVID. Um, but we've had a pretty good response, 845 people 
have attended. There's 21 seminars to date. Um, there's also a program for staff who's willing to participate uh, in a program where they can talk about um, issues that they're facing, the frustrations, et cetera, on the job. Um, there is a, a, there's a, a big need to deal with the recruitment of registered nurses. Uh, from the finance committee reports, people can see that the largest um, amount of money that's being spent right now is on registry because we just don't have enough nurses. They're either called off sick because of COVID. Uh, we also have a big group that have retired recently. And so we're taking a look at that. We're keeping up the postings. Uh, we have a vendor that's doing the postings for us so we can fill these positions. Applications are reviewed within two days. Um, we eventually would like to restart the new RN grad program, but it's on hold until we hire a, a clinical nurse educator and a director of education. So I think that's it. Uh, we meet again next week and hopefully we'll have um, more information in terms of what we've been trying to do. Uh, thank you, Lorna, and to the staff. Lorna's not at full capacity yet in terms of staff, uh, but her and who's, uh, but those that's working with her, they're doing their best to try to meet the need to the um, hospitals. But we really do need registered nurses. And we're not the only uh, facility, it's nationwide. Thanks for your report, Trustee Blue. Trustees, any questions or comments uh, for Trustee Blue's committee. Barring none, thank you, Trustee Blue. Thank you, uh, committee chairs, for that. We will close out uh, the committee report. That's item E. Can I Next? just say one thing? Of course, you Chair. Can. Uh, this is not related to the committee, but more to the chair herself. I would like to just say, while our full board is here, congratulations, Trustee Blue on your White House appointment. It is impressive and wonderful that you are uh, held in high, such high regard nationally. And we're honored to have you as a part of our team. Oh, thank you. I, I don't like think about it too much. You know, it's well, like work. Everyone else does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like work, you know, like, okay, let's try to figure out this issue. But anyway, thank you very much. And I look forward uh, to the work ahead. I just hope that we can get we can get things done in the two years that I served on that Tr commission. While we're on, congratulations. So I'm I'll take blame for this. I'm going to take this off a little bit. Trustee Blue, can you remind the audience what this committee uh, is? Okay, um, I am going to be on the advisory committee uh, for President Biden, <clears throat> and it's called the White House Initiative for Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders. And the agenda, we haven't had a full meeting yet, but the agenda items that we wanna to try to address is the anti-Asian hate that's currently uh, happening in the country, but also to figure out programs and strategies of how we can connect better with the Asian community on the ground and to push uh, the voices of that community to more up higher 
so that people can understand what are the issues that are facing the Asian Pacific community. It's a very diverse community. Well, I think that relates well to your work on the HR committee. So congratulations. congratulations. Thank you. Um, I don't know where to slot this one in because it doesn't fit exactly in HR, but another one of our trustees was appointed to a statewide committee, Trustee Jensen. Uh, um, Trustee Jensen, can you remind us of this appointment? Um, yes, thank you. I was appointed to the, the Association of California, Association ACHD, Association of California Healthcare Districts. Healthcare Districts. Yeah. Um, to represent healthcare districts, of which the City of Alameda Healthcare District is one, as is Eden Healthcare District. So I'll thank um, my colleague, Mark Friedman, for supporting my candidacy as well. Well, congratulations as well while we're on that. And I I think that will that will that work will relate to all your committee work as well. And also, should we mention that is 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 the, your call is is there a physician also from AHS who's also serving with you, um, Louisa? On the yes, on and the, we did, and we didn't know we were both applying for a position on the commission. It's Dr. Lee, Dr. Kimberly Chang from AHS. So, from AHS, yes. Alameda and Health System or Asian Health Services? Asian Health Services. Got it. <laughs> and we and we didn't know it until we saw the list. We were like, hey, I didn't know you were applying. <laughs> anyway. Well, thank you to all. And uh, I own now that I didn't say up all that time that I gained back. So that's item E. We're closing up our committee reports. Team, let's go to the consent agenda. The consent agenda has five items on it. Minutes, policies and procedures. There's a $2.4 million contract to Huron. And there are two sets of bylaws for our respective medical staffs. Before entertaining a motion to approve the entirety of the consent agenda, are there any items that need to be removed for discussion? I see people saying no, which puts us in a nice position. I'll now I entertain move a approval. Motion. There we go, Trustee Friedman. You're <laughs> always the quickest on the draw. Se do I hear a second? Second. All right, let's roll call it. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The consent agenda passes. Thank you and bless you. Thank you. Okay. With that, good job team. We'll close out item F. So this gets us into item G. Item G1, let's take a deep breath and a somber moment of reflection for item G1. Item G1 is a resolution um, in commendation of Supervisor Wilma Chan. Uh, one of uh, the system's greatest champions who, as everyone recalls, passed last year. Um, Madam Clerk or General Counsel, uh, would you put up the resolution? And I've asked Trustee Friedman to sort of verbally hit the highlights so we can give pause and reflection and honor again to, to, to Supervisor Chan. Give me just one second, I'm pulling it up. Yes, ma'am. 
Trustee Friedman, you can get us started if you don't mind. Yeah, for, definitely. For, for those of you who've read these resolutions, they're they're uh, they're they're written in legalese to some degree, but our but our our general counsel and uh, and our uh, does have some flair, so he put in some really important uh, things here to help guide us. Uh, Trustee Friedman. Yes, thank you. Well, I think uh, we all knew Supervisor Chan, some extremely well, others were getting to know her. Uh, as our chair said, she was a tremendous champion for AHS and for healthcare in general, for children, for early education, um, for the underrepresented throughout the county and also the region. So it's a tremendous loss and I'm not gonna read her whole background. I'm gonna actually skip to the second page of the resolution where we get to some of the very important specific things she did for AHS and various elements. Um, she worked tirelessly to broker a deal preventing the closure of San Leandro Hospital. And I won't read all the rest. Um, she authored the strategic plan that reinforced local commitment to supporting the continued operations of Alameda Health System. She served four years on the California Medical Assistance Commission. She, uh, whereas Alameda Health Systems extends its heartfelt sympathy and condolences to her family, friends, and constituents on the passing of Wilma Chan, now, therefore, be it resolved that the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees hereby commends Wilma Chan for her service, passion, and indelible legacy that will continue to thrive among those her work and life have touched. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. If you can put us back to full screen, team. I'll open it up uh, if there are any comments from the trustees, and then we'll move to an action. I think we've said a lot and uh, we'll, we'll continue to say a lot about her. Uh, and uh, this uh, memorializes it in the form of this resolution. May I entertain a motion to approve this? So moved. Second. Um, Madam Clerk. <laughs> Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Steen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. She mouth die. <laughs> <laughs> Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. Thank you to everyone. And again, thoughts to her family and her loved ones. With that, we'll go into item G2, which uh, I'll call it the marquee presentation of the evening. This is again to no one, none of us need reminders, but we'll say it again. Our, our business trustees is to get a strategic plan across the deck. And, uh, and, and uh, that, that's our, 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 our important work for this year. And I think it's gonna happen. Uh, Mr. Jackson, our CEO, will give us the entree into a strategic planning update for us. Uh, 30 minutes have been allocated. We're technically only about 15 minutes behind. so. Um, uh, I'll, I'll ask the presenters just to take a pause uh, along the way if there's questions regarding timing because we do have some closed session discussions. Good evening, Mr. Jackson again, sir. 
Good evening, Chair Bouquet. Um, really grateful for this opportunity. Um, you acknowledged early on that one of our primary objectives as an organization this year was to deliver <clears throat> a strategic plan for the Alameda Health System. And that really is at the top of my list of, of to-dos, frankly. And, um, and I'm really pleased to have the Huron team with us here this evening. They've been really diligently working at this for about um, a month and a half, almost two months now. And I think there's uh, been significant progress made. Um, they're on a bit of a listening tour. And I think you're gonna see the, the fruits of that listening tour um, this evening. And so without any further ado, I'd like to turn it over to uh, Martin and Leslie and the team. Good evening, you, Martin. Good evening, Leslie. Thank you, James, and thank you, Chairman Bouquet. Uh, we're, go we're going to uh, share a presentation with you. Um, make sure everyone can see the presentation as we go through on the full screen. Yep. Uh, so as, as we go through today, we'll try to be respectful of the time uh, and, and, the, and the hour. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about with you uh, initially, right out of the gate, which is to James's point, we've conducted largely a listening tour. Um, we have visited the, the various and sundry sites of AHS, um, from John George to all three hospitals. Um, we spent some time this afternoon at, at Hayward Wellness Center. Um, and as we continue to um, learn more about the system and, and gather direction for the plan, um, we intend to continue to reach out to constituencies um, where they are. Um, we've had a chance to uh, interview, I think all of the board of trustees uh, with the exception of Trustee Blue, uh, as well as system staff and, and key constituents. Um, this is, is by no means a completely exhaustive list. Um, we continue to work with, uh, with James and with some guidance from, uh, from Chairman Bouquet uh, to, con to continually expand and gather the input of additional stakeholders as we continue down the path. Uh, as, as we jump into tonight's presentation, um, we, we've defined things as headwinds and themes. Um, and this definition slide is additive to the packet that I think was published in advance. So this, this slide will be available after the meeting. Uh, I think we've sent this to uh, Rona already. Uh, but as we go into this and we talk in the first section about headwinds, these are internal and external factors that are present and that we need to consider, but aren't necessarily in our control and aren't necessarily strategic. Uh, and in some cases they're, they're very tactical. Um, when we get to the theme section, the themes are things that we want to address with the, with the, within the strategic plan, uh, as well as thinking about how do we address them in, a, in an executable way over a three to five year time horizon of the plan. So jumping into the headwinds, um, we, we, the first headwind we have here is health equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, this is an, an ever evolving target. Um, we, we do quite well in some areas, um, and we have continued progress to make in others. Um, and one of the areas we've talked a lot about is when we talk about health equity and social determinants of health, um, how do we factor that into the plan? And how do we, how do we align with resources that are, that are out there, especially as the needs of the community change? Mm -hmm. um, we talk about administration and accountability. Um, you know, I think we, we've, we've heard in our conversations throughout that there's a little bit of mistrust and some questions about who's really accountable for decisions and who's accountable for um, a collaborative strategy. Um, the good news, I think we, we've heard that there, we've heard some positive uh, tailwinds starting to starting to emerge in this in recent months. Um, decision making, um, 
aligning around who's responsible for making what decision and who's empowered. Um, that's a, a clear question that we have heard in, in many, uh, many instances. Um, moving on to financial challenges, I think that's financial and resources are, those are challenges that are not new to, I think, anyone uh, on this board and in this meeting. And it's something that we need to consider as we evaluate uh, what's possible, where we're going to go, and, and how we're going to get to sort of our desired future destination for AHS. Um, within headwinds, uh, one of the other things that we heard a lot about is AHS is the county hospital. It, it's Highland, it's the public system, and there are people in the community who say, yeah, the, the care is great. If, I, if I'm in an accident, I wanna go there for my trauma care, but it may not be for me. And so aligning that reputation with the actual quality of care that's delivered within AHS um, presents a really great opportunity to showcase some of the, some of the great things that are going on. Uh, we've talked a lot about recruitment and retention, and, and this goes to um, both market-driven trends um, as well as how, do we how, do, how can we improve an employee experience? Um, and those are things that we'll be focusing on as we, as we further the development of the plan. And then finally, community engagement, um, understanding demographic shifts, um, understanding that those who rely on us, we have to be able to reach them oftentimes where they are. Um, that can be a challenge, especially with a homeless or an unhoused population. Um, the community organizations and, and their members are, are parts of key constituencies that we, we need to look at. How can we partner with them? How can we maximize the benefits to our community by leveraging resources and, and community groups that are already out in, in, the, in AHS's market? Um, and then leveraging those into trusting relationships. Um, so understanding that there is a, there's, there are opportunities to both be a partner and to have a partner and to really have trust that goes both ways within the community. So I'll, I'll pause there before we, we move into some of the themes uh, for some questions. I'll look for, for hands to come up for just a moment before we move on. Yes, sir, Trustee Fox. Um, on recruitment and retention, <clears throat> sorry, I think we should make it clear that that includes not only employed staff, but also medical staff. Yes, sir. And we have, uh, we, we actually had some, some great conversation with James and his team uh, about that and as, as we went through these yesterday. And we have some more detail around the physician relationships and the staff relationships as part of themes. Um, and, and as we have talked about moving forward with the plan, um, consolidating that into both a headwind and a theme is something we wanted to do, but we, we did not want to change the presentation uh, significantly from what, what had been published. Okay, well, I, I just think we need to always keep that top of mind. Uh, yes, sir. It also will, you know, it also will play out in its impact on reputation and, and in other areas. Yes, sir. Thank you for that feedback, Trustee. And see, seeing no other hands raised, um, we will go ahead and move on to move into our um, our themes. And the, and the themes, I think, are, are some of the areas that we've had the most robust conversation around. Uh, and so as we think about this, the first key theme that we heard is what is customer service? What is the patient experience? Um, and we, we've heard a lot about it, it can be tough to get in. It can be challenging. It can be fragmented. Um, sometimes from the community, we hear AHS is a little bit of a black box sometimes. Uh, so looking at how we, we take action on that, 
and understanding and engineering where there are improvements we can make, where there are communications that we can improve, as well as where there are perceptions that we can change by getting out in front and really touting some of the great work that's been going on uh, at AHS. Uh, we've talked about access as a theme, um, and that's making sure that we can reach all of our assigned patients. Uh, we, we can meet patient demand within certain specialties, and also that as the, as the COVID-19 pandemic has really changed how um, constituencies access care, whether that is telehealth, um, whether that is um, uh, different environments of care, um, making sure that we meet them where they are. Um, we've talked about quality of care. Quality of care is, is something that, that you know, we hear a lot about, um, delivery of care with an emphasis on diversity and equity. Um, and it's something that when we think about AHS relative to sort of a, nation, a nationwide subset, it's an area that we see some strength for you. Um, it's also an area where you also continue to have a lot of thought leadership in terms of what more can we do? How can we be more effective? And that's certainly something that as a theme, uh, we think is a, a great positive thing to leverage within our strategic plan. Um, now, moving on to the next point here, we have a big perception problem that we've heard about. Uh, and that perception problem I, is I, that- I kindly ask everyone to mute if you're, if you're not presenting. I kindly, thank you very much. Sorry, Martin, go for it. Thank you. Uh, so when we talk about the perception of quality of care, this has less to do with the quality of care that's actually being delivered and a lot to do with folks' perception of their experience and how they perceive that experience to impact quality. Um, so it's, it's a very much a linkage to the, the first theme there at the top. Um, the second thing is communicating quality metrics. So defining them, communicating them, tracking and reporting them consistently throughout the organization. Um, you know, we, we've heard a lot about uh, metrics that exist, uh, dashboards that are out there. And I think there's an opportunity to establish some trust and, and more widespread communication. Um, as part of the strategic plan. Um, as we start to think about the market, um, we start, we continue to see, you know, growing disparities between income levels across the East Bay. And that, that is altering where our population is. So it gets back to delivering services where people are and recognizing that as, as constituencies migrate, they may be migrating closer to another provider and understanding how we can still meet their needs um, and deliver the services that they need. Um, within those services, um, there's a variety of leading practice service lines. And the, the one that comes up the most is trauma, um, followed very closely by um, your, your OB program and it, its fantastic efforts around uh, patient centering. Um, and understanding how we can leverage those leading practices and leading service lines um, into something that's a more formalized offering to the community. Uh, and, and really, I think, help to capture more of the market that may be seeking certain portions of their care um, outside of AHS. Um, as we think about cost savings, uh, and this is making sure that we're a steward of, of the funding that we do have both county and otherwise um, to deliver the most effective care to the underserved. And that really gets to um, you know, getting, getting to the efficient delivery of care in such a way that we can do it in a, if we can make it affordable for a constituency that is challenged. Um, especially around the cost required to receive their care, um, as well as some of the follow-ups that come out of simply the, the acute uh, environment. Um, and then lastly, um, you know, no talk of the themes would be complete without thinking about social health and equity um, and recognizing that 
AHS's population has requires really a unique focus on, on the social determinants of health um, because so many of those that have dramatic impacts on overall health um, affect your population more so than others. And a big part of that is understanding AHS's role within the overall safety net. So we'll, we'll pause there. That, that's the end of our overview and we'll open up the floor for questions and, and commentary. I actually, uh, um, that was really, really helpful and I, I appreciate the, the, the breadth, but I, I wonder um, with regard to the themes, I saw it in the headwinds, but the themes, I, I, where, where, where would we look for um, things like staff experience and workforce development? The um, issues that we face with regard to recruiting um, and how we um, sometimes struggle with being a, um, an attractive place to work and competitively in, in this environment. Yeah, thank you, Trustee Jensen. Uh, as we continue to work with James and the ELT team over the coming weeks, uh, one of the things that we are going to be looking to do is develop some specific pillars from which to take specific strategic actions and focus on. And I, and I expect that there will be uh, pillars around at, at a minimum employee experience and, and likely also breaking out the physician experience separately as something that, that I think warrants separate consideration. Um, so I would expect you'll see a good bit more detail um, on where we think we can go strategically uh, at, within the plan. Uh, during the next report. And um, my, the other comment that I have also with uh, with regard to these these themes and these focus areas is um, to include our community partners in these areas. The partners um, are not just, well, of course, our patients as well, but our community partners, the partners that we have with, with um, Alameda Healthcare District, for example, with the county and with uh, the the contractors that we work with closely to support our our patient population. Yeah, definitely. And and to the extent that we have connected with those folks already, um, their feedback is incorporated into into these themes and headwinds. Um, and as we continue to meet with them and get and gather and gain their feedback, um, we will we will continue to fold fold that into the strategic plan as it moves along. Trustee Blue, then Trustee Friedman. You're on mute, Louisa. Thank you, Martin, for um, the beginning of this report. So I have a couple of questions. In terms, I focus in on inconsistent follow-up with patients. Is that a result of not having enough staff or is it the system that's in place that causes patients to fall through the cracks? So that's one question I have. And then uh, the other one is how many, how many of our folks in the system have been surveyed or how far has your listening tour have gone and whether or not line staff have actually come up with recommendations or is that further down uh, the line? So let's we'll start with your first question on, on the follow-up. Within the scope of where we are in the plan, um, we've not done a, a root cause analysis. Um, as we go through with the leadership team and, and other stakeholders, one of the things we'll start asking is, we know we have challenges, they've been reported. What do we think are the drivers of them and how should we address them? And that goes into developing specific actions and goals 
um, around that. Uh, so I, I would expect that we will have some specific actions that we think we can take that would be relative to um, where we perceive the issues to be. Um, but I don't know that we've gotten that far uh, in, the, in, in the plan at this stage. Um, from a, a depth of the listening tour, um, and I'll, I'll go back up here to, uh, to the beginning. So these, these are the folks that we, we've talked with so far. Um, mm -hmm. lar this largely trustees, leadership, and some community leaders. Um, we are working on a survey and what the appropriate audience is for a survey versus um, listening tours and listening groups within the staff and the best way to approach them. Um, that's part of the next phase of work. So I would expect we'll hear a little bit more about that as we continue to work through that and identify the right way to collect um, the most feedback possible. Um, mm -hmm. we, we won't necessarily be able to touch large groups of, of employees, um, but we can have surveys that allow as many as, as want to, um, to participate and provide feedback. Mm -hmm. I just thought to respond on that, on your comments there, and I do appreciate the fact that you know, you, um, and will try to get in deeper with frontline staff, um, but there is this perception within the frontline staff that this lack of trust, okay, this lack of trust that they have, um, and it's not just recently, but it comes over years where they probably have seen surveys done before and then nothing happens, and that's what that's what Lorna and I hear, right? Because mm -hmm. Lorna has to deal with the HR issues. So it's also trying to figure out how to address that, where staff can come to uh, a point where they feel like, okay, this is not just BS. There's going to be real work done. And our input is going to be implemented or listened to. Mm -hmm. And, and you raise an excellent point, Trustee Blue, and one of the things that, that we have, have put into our project plan is a lot of thought into how this plan is rolled out and what the, what the right constituencies are and how we communicate the actions that we, we plan to take um, around the strategic plan. Um, so that as we define the plan, um, we will identify the right ways to roll that out. Um, and that, that is defined in the last phase of our work, is, if, is the actual rollout. Excuse yes, me, Martin. I'm sorry, it's James. Just a quick comment. Um, thank you very much, Trustee Blue. Your point is well taken. And, you know, just we need to make sure that we get that input. Another aspect that um, Martin probably was going to touch on, but I'll just beat him to the punch. They're going to be, the, the Huron team will be going to the next um, leadership meeting. And so they're going to be presenting to our leadership team uh, very much what you're seeing here this evening and then eliciting their feedback as well. And so, really trying to make sure that we are getting to all constituencies. Your point was getting to the frontline staff and what I've just shared mm -hmm. does not address that, but certainly that is to come, but we are trying to make sure that we touch base with everybody who really this is impacting. Thank you. Trustee Friedman, then Trustee Banerjee. Thank you. In your interviews so far, have there been any surprises or things that were really unexpected or mm -hmm. were kind of outlier comments that uh, forced you to sort of rethink the big picture? You know, I think for us, a lot of it has, has been learning and contextualizing AHS. Um, I think one of the big surprises is how well aligned uh, many of the stakeholders are around um, ultimate goals um, and commitment to the mission. 
uh, we don't always see alignment that is as strong as what we see through the organization and the community stakeholders that we've talked to. Um, we often will hear different flavors of a theme um, and different stakeholders have different passions within the mission. Um, but I think as folks look at both their passions and others' passions and others' priorities, um, there's a great alignment around the leadership team and with the community leadership around where we want to go and understanding that the things that are priorities to one individual or one constituency may not be a priority to others, um, but the others' priorities are often equally important. Um, that I think is a very positive thing that we've seen as, as we go through this process um, and that we don't always see that level of alignment this early in the process. Thank you. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah, thank you. I had a process question. Um, first, to, um, um, I also wanted to bring up what um, Trustee Blue said, and I know that the best initiative has trust at the, at the uh, at BEST, and I think that, that that trust is a really important factor um, in, um, through this process because the journey is as important as having the strategic plan or a plan. So like how we do it is as important as what we do through the process. So one was that as you're going through these listening sessions and things, are um, would you be having any kind of conversations about like values because aligning around values would probably help with some shared meaning making as well. So like, will there be some kind of, you know, grounding? We know what the AHS values are. Would those be kind of like really reflected, reiterated um, or uh, anything new that comes up as you're hearing from folks? Uh, so that would be something I feel anchoring on some like basic values would be a really good way to, uh, to think about our actions and our priorities around those. And then second would be that as you're thinking about the key constituents, I would love, uh, I'm sure you do have this in mind, but our patient advisory councils and um, stakeholders would be really great too. I know that the Healthcare for the Homeless has a you know board which has like 51% uh, with lived experience and what a difference it makes when you have folks with, with that being, uh, having a say in the strategy. And I hope that we will have those voices, our end user, patient voices in the process as well. Thank you for that feedback. Trustee Fox. Uh, one more thought as I look at the list of uh, cons uh, constituents interviewed among the physicians, I see names of the leaders of the medical staffs at different locations. I think it might be uh, worthwhile to also interview uh, the biggest admitters to the hospital because the people, who, the physicians who are putting the most patients in our beds and in our clinics are probably getting the most feedback. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and we continue to work, work on ways to reach as much of the medical staff as possible. Um, and, and again, some of that may be face-to-face may be -face interviews, it may be um, surveys uh, as the environment and our ability to connect with folks um, live and one-to-one -one, um, is often limited by, by schedules and commitments, especially as, as we've had COVID flare up again. We're continuing to look for alternative ways that we can reach them. Um, so mu much more to come. I, I don't think this list will be exhaustive of everyone who we gather input from. Um, many of the additionals um, will be in the form of surveys. 
um, as well as um, potentially some face-to-face. Trustees? Mr. McKittrick, uh, I have just, uh, I'll try to keep it simple, my question. So the the original proposal and and draft operational plan was this was an estimated delivery of strategic plan circa April, May. Does does, does this, does the pacing seem to be appropriate with that original proposal from your perspective? As of today, I I think April, May is probably realistic. Um, As we continue to broaden the listening tour. Um, we may have to make some decisions as to where have we heard enough variations on a theme um, to okay. stick with the timeline. And we'll kind of have to evaluate those trade-offs as we look for uh, when do we want to deliver the plan versus how many folks do we need to reach. Got it. Given that, and uh, uh, if you'll hold on pause on this, I don't know if this is an answer for you, but I'm going to ask for your feedback. Trustees, we, we need to have a board of trustees retreat. And, and so I'm gonna ask Martin where, where he would estimate, where he would see value from a board meeting uh, vis-a-vis either using us as an informational tool or reporting to us. It's my opinion that, that uh, uh, Ms. Grimmer and Mr. McKittrick's team have been pretty good about interviewing each of us. You, you guys can respond to me individually about how your interviews went. But, but I wonder if, if uh, uh, they, it would be of more value to give a status update or do we sit in a room for 10 hours and talk about the strategic plan? Trustees, can you comment on how would you would see further interfacing with Huron from our perspective? Should we hear an updated report or do we need to sit in a room and massage mission, vision, values? Do, is, what, where do you see us going next vis-a-vis Huron? Won't we have, uh, uh, I would expect that we'd have a retreat in the first quarter, no? Like in right. February or March or so. I think this, yeah, like yeah. this st- uh, strategy is the board's like first responsibility. So I, I would think that um, we need to get together as a board to be able to, you know, yeah. um, uh, discuss and um, as as we keep getting updates to be on on board ourselves about uh, the direction. So uh, agree, Trustee Banerjee. So I guess uh, as, as I, and this is why I, I'm one of our members, I'm just, my thinking, do we do it in March or we do it in, in April? The benefit of a potential March is that we get to help um, uh, offer guidance to Huron should they need it. If it were to come in April, it would probably be closer to a cooked product in April if, if, the, if they're projecting May. So I'm just sort of, and we could, we could probably be fine tuning adjustments um, if, if it was an April meeting. And I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing if there's an opinion uh, from the trustees. And then I'll ask the same of Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, sir, do you do you have an opinion uh, on 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 the timing of our next retreat? Again, the pro of April is uh, sorry. If it were to be done in April again, I think it would be largely a cooked product uh, from here on, as we're projecting May. If it's in March, it's more of a kind of a. They're still probably sixty percent of the way on their journey. I just want to be. Va- I don't want to waste Huron's time, and I certainly don't want to waste the board's time. I'm just trying to have the debate and dialogue about the next best positioning between the board and Huron. Thank you, Chair Bouquet. My, 
my suggestion would be March um, because I think that there's value in the feedback from the trustees. I think the product will be relatively pretty far along. I'd hate to see it get hardened, if you will, um, too far along the process and then have the trustee say that's really not um, what we were looking for. And so I think there will be value in having trustee input um, before we get too far down the pike, if you will. And allow Huron to redirect if needed. If needed. Okay. I, I think I think that's a uh, I think that's a solid right. Yeah. Yes, Mr. McKittrick, sir. Thank you, Chair Boquette. Um, as I think about the timeline and the meetings that we have coming up, um, there's an ELT retreat that I believe will happen in late March. Um, thinking about how we're going to be coming together and in the interest of making the most of the board's time. I think if we were a week or so, week or two after that um, retreat, we would probably be able to bring a product that would allow the trustees to offer a lot of feedback before a plan is fully baked, but to react to a number of options uh, that we're going, we're, we're hoping to work through with the executive ELT um, as part of that retreat. And that, that's based on the plan today. Um, yeah. Obviously, as the, the, the pandemic situation changes, that may get pushed and shuffled. Um, but that, that would be my thought as to how we may be able to um, provide the most insight to the trustees. That, that's good data and good uh, projection, Mr. McKittrick. Um, Mr. Jackson, do you have the date of the, um, uh, this ELT retreat? Actually, um, we, we are trying to lock that down. Uh, if Tangerine Brigham is still online, she's leading the planning for that. For the executive team, Tangerine, are you there? Um, I will get that um, and get back to you, uh, Chair Bouquet. So, 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 trustees, I, I think now I'm glad we've having we're having this dialogue. Now, this makes a little bit more sense than just uh, spitballing it, like we maybe, maybe I was doing. Um, I think waiting for uh, the ELT and then giving Huron. Mr. McKittrick, do you think a week's enough for you, really, after an ELT? Well, I think where, where, we want, where we want to be conscious of is enough time for us to process where folks land, but also okay. enough time that, that given that it would be a board meeting, that we have enough time to produce a document and get it on the agenda to be uh, compliant with the Brown Act. Okay. Um, so I think realistically, <laughs> you know, Brown Act notice plus a week would, would, would I think, give us enough time um, that presupposes that we, we continue to be as coalesced around themes uh, as we are today. And that as okay. we start to think about specific actions and goals that that, that sort of alignment um, continues. Uh, okay. and, and from what we've heard so far uh, and the interactions and dynamics of the teams and stakeholders, I think it will. Okay, that's super helpful. So this ballparking a window, what I think I'm hearing might work best for us is a retreat projected late March, early April is what I, based on, and this is a function of the ELT scheduling, and then a function of giving Huron time to digest the ELT findings. So um, if this concept is, seems acceptable to the trustees, I'll then work with Mr. Jackson and Huron uh, to, to find that date. Is that acceptable? Do, do, do these concepts jive with everybody? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Um, any closing questions for uh, Mr. McKittrick? Uh, Mr. McKittrick, uh, the, uh, Trustee Banerjee made sort of a comment, and, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a neophyte to strategic planning, but uh, you know, it seems that the foundational stuff is mission, vision, and values. 
um, what, uh, it, 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 are, are you imagining at this point, not holding you to it, uh, a re-engineering of our current mission and vision? We, we, and we actually technically don't have a quote values statement at this system to my recollection. Yeah, there, there are some values that, that we've seen published in a couple of places. Uh, I don't know that it's a formal statement to your point. Yeah. Um, one of the exercises that our team has done a couple of times now is we, we've laid out sort of you know, mission, vision, values as we understand them, and then said, if we were going to, based on what we heard, restate or re-engineer these mission, vision, values, um, how would we do so? And I think the, the surprising thing to us is each time we come up with very minor wordsmithing changes that I don't think change the overall meaning. Okay. Uh, and, and I think as we go, as we think through that, um, there's the old adage, if it's not broken, let's not fix it. Yeah. Um, because there seems to be a lot of alignment and belief around those mission, vision, and values. Okay. Um, now, as, as we continue down, if, if that does change, um, that's certainly something we would consider. Wonderful. Trustee Friedman, sir. I'm glad to hear you say that, uh, Martin, because that's been my experience going through many vision, mission, values exercises through the decades that they're usually minor tweaks and not what I would call course corrections and the amount of time and energy that can go into the wordsmithing kind of takes us away from what I think is our top challenge is the strategic one of, uh, you know, setting priorities and direction and um, those elements are important to have, but not important to obsess over. Yeah, I, um, I would only add that uh, most times like people are behind the, our mission and vision, but uh, the fact that we do have a set of values actually, and that people are not familiar with what those are, are, are things that they sh in the shared meaning making, because one of the things that in the um, New England Journal article that you had, sometimes the goals were misaligned. Like people said, like it, when, when we are thinking about like our strategy or how we do things, our goals are a little misaligned. And sometimes they're anchor points, not something that you have to belabor or something, but things where there's just shared meaning making. So not, you know, for navel gazing purposes, but for to align with actions and to align with priorities and to get people around that. So mm -hmm. I think just where if we have uh, a set of values, just that those are things that people should have on the back of their, um, you know, on the, on the tips of their tongue, that these are things that we anchor on, like our actions are anchored on these values. And I think that more as a, as a purpose of not <laughs> recreating something, but to re, reaffirm um, those for our constituents. <clears throat> that's, that's a great point. Okay. Um, uh, I'm gonna close out item G2 with appreciation uh, for the work that Mr. McKittrick and Ms. Uh, Grimmer and the, the Huron consultants are trying to help us along on this journey. I know you guys are in different time zones, uh, so we wanna let you guys and get out of here. So um, with that, We'll close out the presentation item G2. Thank you guys. Uh, Thank you all. Item H are written staff reports. We have three written staff reports. The CFO report, a COO report, which is an operational update for Highland. And we have a best report uh, again from our, from our CFO. I'll just stop here and pause and ask trustees if they have any questions 
with regard to these written staff reports, which have been presented in the packet. None. Going once, twice, three times a lady. All right, thank you. So with that, uh, we'll close out item H. And audience, um, we have now concluded the open session agenda items and we'll be moving into closed session. Council, will you please announce purpose? The Board of Trustees will now go into closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. Uh, good evening, public. Uh, um, uh, we will report out if any action was made um, uh, in closed session when we come back. Estimated 30 to 45. Good evening.
Good evening, everyone. We're coming out of closed session. Council? The Board of Trustees met in closed session to consider those items as stated on the agenda. The Board of Trustees authorized the CEO to execute a settlement agreement with the County of Alameda to dismiss the County of Alameda from the pension liability lawsuit, Alameda Health System at Al versus Alameda County Employees Retirement Association at Al. The settlement includes the county withdrawing its objection made to ACERA to a study concerning retirement liability and also requiring the county to provide data that will be used in the study. There are no other reportable actions taken. That concludes the, uh, the January 12, 2022 Board of Trustees meeting. Everyone have an excellent evening. Good night. Good night.